This is the All About 80s Music Podcast with John Mysick and Steve Ojello. Hey, this is Steve Ojello, and I'm here with John Mysick. How's it going, Steve? It's going well, John. Today, we look at a number of lead singers that fronted the best bands of the greatest decade, and a few solo artists as well. This is going to be a lot of fun, so let's not waste any time and get right into it. So, John... Looking at all the great lead singers the 80s had to offer, who's first on your list? You know, Steve, last week on the pod, we paid tribute to the ladies of the 80s, uh, Alison Moyet, Belinda Carlisle, Susanna Hoff, some of the greatest female vocalists of the era. This week, it's the fellas' turn, and we'll look at what the guys did at the same time. Uh, no shortage of talent or egos, I should add, behind the microphone uh, in some of the greatest 80s bands. So I'm going to start off with my personal favorite, Tony Hadley, lead singer of Spandau Ballet. Uh, and also a, uh, an accomplished solo artist in his own right. I've talked about my love for Spando Ballet on the pod before. Uh, they're the band where it starts and ends for me in a lot of ways for 80s pop, and they would not have been the outfit that they were uh, without Tony Hadley's soulful and big voice at the microphone. Try to imagine True being sung by somebody else. Try to imagine, to cut a long story short, being sung by somebody else. And in fact, the band briefly did that uh, with a substitute lead singer after Hadley left the reunited lineup in 2017. 2018. Uh, Ross William Wilde just didn't work out. Uh, the band have not regrouped since. Hadley continues to be active. Uh, put out one of my favorite singles of last year in a song called Because of You uh, that sort of evoked that Coldplay, Sky Full of Stars, EDM vibe. Uh, he went out on his 40th anniversary tour. Um, just an accomplished vocalist all the way around, Steve. And I love that you picked Tony Hadley to start this list off. Spandau was such an important band to the new wave movement and to 80s pop music. Although Tony sang on a number of hit songs, I always felt when he sang True in 1983, he gave us all a long life gift. His voice on that song has remained in our minds and hearts and defined the sound and style of the decade alongside of a few other special songs. Yeah, Steve, it's the song that launched a thousand senior prom, Slow Dances, continues to be played on terrestrial radio to this day, uh, sampled even by PM Dawn back uh, at the dawn of the 1990s on uh, Set Adrift on a Memory Bliss. You know, that unmistakable guitar riff, that plink, plink line, soul line that Gary Pemp, the band's made songwriter, came up with. Just, again, an indelible song, and of course, has continued to pay the rent for Mr. Kemp low these uh, many years later. Number, uh, number one for you, my friend. So I'm kicking off this list with the man who's not only the greatest singer of all of rock and roll, but arguably the greatest singer of all time. I'm talking about the one and only Steve Perry. But let me break that down for you, Mysick. It's the sound of his voice, his execution, his sense of melody, and the way he pours emotion into the song. The youngsters out there know his voice from Don't Stop Believing, but that song barely scratches the surface. I encourage all the listeners out there to cue up what I consider the Steve Perry Essential Recording which is Journey's Greatest Hits live album. It's a record with front-to-back Journey hits and has Steve Perry singing at his all-time best, one of my favorite albums. 
But I have to say that out of all of the Steve Perry songs out there, my favorite track of his is off of the Raised On Radio album, and it's called Happy To Give. The last minute and 30 seconds of that track has Jonathan Cain laying down bells and horns on the keyboards, with Steve Perry's voice soaring over it majestically, proclaiming himself king. Through the years, Steve's voice and style have often been imitated by many singers, but never duplicated. He remains to this day absolutely untouchable by any other vocalist. Steve, I remain uh, forever yours faithfully uh, in this podcast. <laughs> the journey have never been my cup of tea. That said, um, I will doff my cap in the direction uh, of Steve Perry. No doubt a big-voiced vocalist. I can kind of take it or leave it when it comes to Journey. You know, it's it's not that classic era that does it for me. There's a song off of their 80s, I think it's 1986, 1987, called I'll Be All Right Without You that I love quite a lot. His solo single, Oh Sherry, another uh, indelible artifact from the 1980s, that scene in the, uh, in the hotel in Hollywood where she walks in through the doors and he's at the top serenading her. Just, uh, just absolutely the most adorable thing in the entire world. Again, you know, Journey had never been, never been my thing. Uh, we covered Don't Stop Believing in the Thompson triplets. It always, always, always gets the crowd moving. You know, I salute him. I salute him and I, I salute you. Who's your second pick, Isaac? All right, I'm going to go, Mr. Ajalo, with the late, great Robert Palmer, quintessential English soul singer who straddled both the 1970s and the 1980s. Just a, a real magpie straddling soul and funk and jazz and pop and, and reggae. A real, a real polymath. Uh, you think about, you know, looking for thieves or sneaking Sally through the alley or... Um, ordinary people to his work with the power station i got you know and of course addicted to love and the sort of later hits he had in the 1980s just a smooth voiced uh soulful vocalist who unfortunately was uh, was taken from us all too soon in 2003 at the very young age of uh, 54 how lucky are we that we were on this earth as the same time as Robert Palmer? You know the 80s were filled with supergroups. If you think about bands like GTR, HSAS, Asia, and the Power Station were definitely one of them. I probably, like you, back in 1985, was ecstatic when I heard the news of Robert Palmer joining Power Station. I remember saying something to myself at the time like, well, if John and Andy are going to cheat on Simon Le bon, at least it's with Robert Palmer. At 14 or 15 years old, I was already aware of Robert Palmer's awesomeness, his soulful voice, his songs, and the covers he did that he made even better, right? In my system, some guys have all the luck. Take My Heart, which was a Cool in the Gang song, and of course, the Jimmy Jam Terry Lewis hit, Didn't Mean to Turn You On. And I wasn't mad about him striking when the iron was hot and deciding not to tour with the power station and just getting his own album done. It was great to see that Bernard produced that album and Andy played on some of it. I just thought it was a great transition. It wasn't mad at him. Uh, you know, as, as somebody who had tickets to the power station in 1985 and got Michael DeBar instead of Robert Palmer, <laughs> I might have been a little bit salty about that. I was really hoping to see the great man himself. No diss on Michael DeBar, who put on a great show, but Michael DeBar is no Robert Palmer. You talk about those solo records, Steve. You know, he wrote one song on the Power Station LP called Go to Zero with the bassist Guy Pratt. 
Yeah. Uh, later played on some of those who played on Riptide, that solo record with Bernard Edwards staring across the control room at him. And I've heard Pratt talk about how nervous he was with this titan of the bass um, staring across the glass at him. As a bass player in the pod, I am contractually obligated to mention great bass players at all times. So I sort of came to it backwards. I was sort of vaguely aware of who Robert Palmer was, but the power station was really my introduction to him and to his solo work. And I backtracked from there listening to every kind of people. Some guys have all the luck later covered by Rod Stewart, by the way. You go back across his solo records from the 1970s going into the 1980s, and you really realize in a lot of ways, Steve, that he kind of set the tone for the male soul singers who were to come in that decade, that he was kind of the template for, you know, your Paul Youngs and that kind of stuff who, who sort of came after him. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. All right, uh, Mr. Ojello, your number two pick, please. So my favorite second is one of a kind gentleman that graced this universe in a huge way. One of the only musicians who had me crying when I found out that he died. If there was ever a gift to humanity, Mysick, it was Freddie Mercury, a stealth vocalist, a songwriter, a showman who could command an audience of tens of thousands of people, there'll never be another. I want to specifically mention what I consider his greatest performance, and you could probably guess where I'm going with this. The performance that he gave of Radio Gaga at Live Aid was probably the best of all live rock performances ever. He was full of good spirits. He was relaxed. He looked healthy and squeaky clean. He had this aura about him, which seemed like he was just channeling a higher realm. He had the entire packed crowd at Wembley Stadium in his command. I've had a bunch of kids over the years that I've made watch this video just to illustrate what a true performer he is and he was. I'm always like, if you're serious about a music career, if you play an instrument, if you're a dancer or an actor, you need to watch this. It just evoked such a strong emotion that stood out from the rest of their set, which was altogether wonderful. Freddie is still a beloved figure by millions and one of the greatest that will ever grace the stage. And while pop and rock stations are playing the absolute hell out of Bohemian Rhapsody and another one bites the dust today, I encourage all the listeners to check out Freddie's vocals on the songs One Vision, Tie Your Mother Down, Dragon Attack, Play the Game, Staying Power, and quite frankly, the entire Miracle album. Freddie remains one of the greatest lead singers and showmans of all time. Steve, if you ever want to know what it's like to see one person hold 100,000 people in the palm of their hand, it's that 1985 performance at Wembley. It still remains the single most magnetic and I think transformative live experience that I, I've ever seen. You know, I was sitting there watching it at home as a kid and even at 15, knowing that this was an extraordinary moment, that this was an historic moment to have that crowd singing back to him to have that crowd clapping back to him in time and just like a maestro just kind of conducting them and, and bringing the emotion out and bringing it back and bringing it it's just the most amazing thing taken from us unfortunately entirely too soon by aids in um 1991 the freddie mercury tribute concert in 1992 with so many incredible artists uh, David Bowie and Annie Lennox coming out and singing Under Pressure. George Michael coming out and singing John Deacon's Somebody to Love. That You listen to Mercury's vocals, and you really have to be a particular kind of vocalist, be able to match 
his range, his expressiveness. Those songs aren't for everybody. And I think it shows to you that even though, you know, Brian May and Roger Taylor have, have bravely carried on for these last 30 years, they've never, until Adam Lambert, the American yeah. Idol contestant, they were never really able to find somebody to fill Freddie Mercury's, frankly, unfillable shoes. That is a, a singular voice and a singular talent. And, and, you know, to your list of great songs in that sort of latter period of the 1980s, I would add these are the days of our lives. His, yeah, his, his window album. That final vocal, you see that video and yeah. you understand what happens retrospectively. You understand that he was gravely ill. Oh, yeah. You understand that that was him sort of a loving tribute and, and almost saying goodbye to his friends and his, and his fans. And the first time I saw it after Freddie passed and having not seen it before, it made me weep because it made me weep for what we had lost. Yeah. Um, and it made me weep for what could have been but we are lucky to have shared i think as you said a couple of minutes ago have you shared the same planet with him however briefly totally agree yeah that video was was really hard for me to watch we all knew what was happening there so okay mysic transitioning from freddie mercury who's next on your list all right so i'm going to bring it from stadium massive steve down to a uh, slightly smaller scale to uh michael stipe the lead singer of rem and somebody whose work has meant so much to me down the years. You know, it, it, I think Michael Stipe remains sort of one of the, the quintessential American rock vocalists. R.E.M. remains one of, sort of the quintessential American rock bands. You, know, you, you look at the arc of that career, coming out of Athens, Georgia in 1981-82, with the Chronic Town EP, and Murmur, their debut LP, and Reckoning, three albums, two twenty EP, and two albums, rather, pardon me, produced by Mitch Easter, uh, with assistance from Don Dixon, who really, that really set the tone for American college radio, impressionistic, difficult to decipher lyrics. They really rewarded you upon repeated listenings. And, and I remember sitting there as a kid and listening to and then rewinding Seven Chinese Brothers off of Reckoning or listening to and rewinding Pretty Persuasion off of Reckoning just to try to get some idea of what Michael Stipe was singing. And Stipe often said that he put together not so many so much lyrics as sort of sounds that sounded great together. And you know, yeah, it was the first place I ever heard Katie Bar the phrase Katie Bar the Door, which is this quintessential Southern saying. Losing your religion is another quintessential Southern saying. And as as the years went on and Stipe became more confident as a performer, his vocals became more pronounced, his lyrics became more readily decipherable without losing any of their mystery um, or their magic. And you know, away from the microphone, he was active in HIV. AIDS causes, he's active in environmental causes, you know, remember in 1992 um, where R.E.M. were really active around Rock the Vote with the election of Bill Clinton, and then playing that inaugural ball on MTV in 1993 where we had uh, the, the mashup of Adam Clayton and Larry Mullen from U2 and Mike Mills and, and Michael Stipe playing one together, Automatic Baby, they called themselves. But just an extraordinary vocalist, you know, and the band decided to carry on in 1997 after the departure of Bill Berry putting out some you know some uneven records but also some really wonderful stuff as well right up until 2011 with their final album collapse into now which remains one of my favorite rem records there's a great song on there i commend this to the listeners called uberlin that is everything i love about michael stipe in one song just like you said about steve perry i'm gonna say the same thing about michael stipe not the biggest fan of his but 
I understand his importance in alternative music. Totally respect the guy for what he's done and what he's accomplished. All right, Steve, you're number three. So I'm going to go with a bit of a curveball here. Just because there's something about Rick Ocasek of the Cars. Think of all those hit songs. Think about that quirky 80s singing style. There were really two lead singers of the Cars, Benjamin Orr, the very handsome bass player with the smooth voice who sang on their hits, Drive, Just What I Needed, Moving Stereo, and a number of others. On paper, Ben was the perfect frontman for the band, but there was something about Rick Ocasek. Standing there tall and lanky with jet black hair behind his guitar, singing all those landmark songs. My best friend's girl, hello again, shake it up. Tonight she comes, magic, you might think, and so many others, which, by the way, he actually wrote by himself. I thought a lot of those songs written by the cars were a collective effort, but it was just really Ben or Rick writing the songs. He just had something magical about him. Sincerity behind his lyrics, strong melodies, a very distinct, unique quirkiness in his style that was so 80s. It was the perfect mix. He lived in New York City for many years after the cars disbanded, producing bands and enjoying a stint for a while as an A&R man for V2 Records. In 2019, he sadly died, but he left us so many songs, a number of which have been in constant, heavy rotation throughout my life. Uh, a very underrated singer of the decade who provided a huge number of popular hits in the music catalog of popular music. Yeah, you know, Steve, you don't always have to be the greatest singer in the entire world to be a great or compelling lead singer. And certainly, that is something Rick Ocasek brought to the table. And when you run that, run down that catalog of hits, you know, it's hard to deny, you know, the songwriting talent that he possessed. You know, I, I'm lucky enough to see the cars, and so to see him and Ben Orr out front, it was, it was kind of like chalk and cheese, you know, like there was, there was, there was Ocasek on one side, all tall, and then Ben Orr singing Drive and, and being, as you said, quite, unfortunately, we lost Ben Orr as well yeah. seven years back. Pancreatic uh, cancer. Pancreatic cancer, a cruel, cruel, cruel disease. I feel lucky for that experience. And in Heartbeat City, that 1984 LP produced by Mutt Lang, you know, sort of a, a really quintessential 1980s pop rock album. And I mean, there were never new ways purists necessarily they were kind of a rock band with uh, a patina of keys and new wavy sentiment attached to them but i mean you, know, you can't deny the talent in that band nor can you sort of deny that very special thing that rick Ocasek had as a as a guitarist and a singer and a songwriter all right mysic who's next for you all right, uh, I'm going to just jump across the Atlantic here, Steve, uh, to the great mod father himself, uh, <laughs> Paul John Weller. Paul Weller, uh, lead singer and main songwriter behind The Jam, lead singer and main songwriter behind The Style Council. And then for these last 25 or 30 years, just a hugely prolific solo artist leaping across styles. You know, Weller is into his 60s now and still making music and had, has had this incredible purple patch of solo records over the last 10 years or so. You know, he put out Fat Pop last year or the year before. It was just incredible. Put out in uh, in 2010, probably my, one of my favorite records in Wake Up the Nation, this kind of pastiche LP of found sound and guitar hooks. From that one, I'd recommend uh, No Tears to Cry to the listeners. If you're looking for sort of Weller's quintessential solo work, 
Heart, uh, Sunflower from 1991, or Changing Man from later on in the 1990s. Just a totemic figure and a guy who's been really artistically restless, pardon me, across the length and breadth of his career. He could have stayed in the jam forever. He decided to bring the curtain down on that band when he felt like it wasn't doing enough. Launched the Style Council, a 180 artistically. They were jazzy, they were soulful, uh, left a lot of the Weller faithful scratching their heads, but they followed along behind him. You know, they, that band produced Shout to the Top, just for instance. Some great, great songs. Uh, when You Call Me, another one. And a guy who's just remained sort of an artistic inspiration for me for that very reason, for being artistically restless and, and never compromising on, and frankly, hugely stylish. Uh, remains a style icon for me, too. You know, I, I saw him back in 2004 when he put out the uh, album of covers, Studio 150. Oh, it's a great record. I love and, that album. Uh, oh, it's it's beautiful, and it's really well produced, and he's singing fantastically on all those songs. He remade Wishing on a Star, Thinking of You, which is the Bernard Edwards and Nile Rodgers track, All Along the Watchtower, Early Morning Rain by Gordon Lightfoot. So many great songs, and he performed at Tower Records in um, Soho, and it was an intimate show. Him and his buddy just sitting there playing acoustically. I mean, just it was one of my favorite concerts of all time. Definitely one of the most respected musicians in all of pop and rock music and alternative music. Yeah, Weller's two, 2018 LP, True Meanings, is kind of a, a quintessential Sunday morning LP for me. It's it's acoustic, it's a little subdued, loses none of its beauty. There's a song on there called The Soul Searchers that I commend to the listeners as well. Again, somebody whose musical ambition, whose musical reach is kind of inexhaustible. And to be into your 60s and frankly to look as great as he does and to remain as artistically potent as he is, you know, is really inspiring. And something you said uh, was very intriguing uh, a few years ago about Paul Weller is that you only buy his albums on vinyl. Is that still true? That is, he Weller is one of two or three artists whose records I will continue to buy on vinyl. I just feel that they are, you know, he's the kind of guy who is uh, worth the investment. Uh, the English rock band Elbow are the other one. <laughs> awesome. All right, Steve, your uh, number four pick. Okay, so I'm including Martin Fry in this list. Because as we've said in a prior podcast, what would the 80s be without Martin Fry and ABC songs? Very similar to Rawa Palmer, he had all the great attributes of a lead singer. Tall, handsome, a melodic craftsman, a clever lyricist with a distinct voice. I encourage all the listeners to rediscover not only the look of love and Poison Arrow, but Smokey Sings, The Night You Murdered Love, Be Near Me, Many Happy Returns, and Show Me Off the Lexicon of Love album, and so many other songs in ABC's strong portfolio of work. Those songs are spread out from, I'd say, 81, 82, all the way to 89. Martin Fry's voice soaring over Trevor Horn's pristine productions on a lot of those tracks, just magnificent. He's been busy in recent years and still is active today. You know, Steve, it's funny. I was, I was just sort of doing some research for the pod here, and um, ABC have actually re-released a re-recorded version of uh, of the Look of Love. For our TikTok age, there's a sped up version of the song that the, the kids love putting in their TikTok 
Oh, videos. You talk about some of the great songs, um, When Smokey Sings, Book of Love, Poison Arrow. For my money, All of My Heart, also off of Lexicon of Love, is a great song. It was a single from that LP. Didn't get the traction of those other two big tracks, but equally gorgeous in its own right. All right, for uh, for number five, uh, we're going to keep it with blue-eyed English soul singers. Paul Young, Steve, who I've talked about before, a singer who I think does not get anywhere near his due as a vocalist, but can stand on any stage with Martin Fry or George Michael. And in fact, he did stand on a stage uh, with George Michael in the 1987 Princess Trust where they, uh, they duetted on uh, Every Time You Go Away. Uh, I recommend finding that on YouTube because that's just a, a, a wonderful performance you know so many great songs from paul young uh that first lp no parlay we talked about it on the pod a couple of weeks ago jack lee's come back and stay his cover of joy division's love will tear us apart which i will defend even though some purists find it heretical love of the common people uh, his cover of marvin Gaye's wherever i lay my hat with just this mind-blowing pino Palladino fretless bass intro uh, it's worth the listen for that alone that second album uh, the secret of association that had every time you go away on it it had gonna tear your playhouse down you know young continues to record and tour to this day he stepped away from music for a little while but is in fact here in central pennsylvania as we've come to find out a little bit later on this summer i am massively geeked about that i feel like that will be my whole musical life coming full circle when we're standing down uh watching paul young sing and you're not the only one even though rick springfield is heading that show people online were ecstatic about paul young you expect to see like tommy two-tone on those tours but like paul young and, and we'll just back this up for the listeners this is a, a gig that's being played here in central pennsylvania later on this summer with rick springfield the hooters tommy two-tone and paul young it's it's as incongruous a lineup as you can possibly imagine but wow what an evening that is going to be well uh so steve you're number five a lot of our choices here on this list are subjective and people can argue pro and cons for each. But I believe that there are a few singers that are loved by millions. Bono is one of them. Another is Michael Hutchins. Uh, one of the coolest dudes from Australia leading a band with so many smash hits. A band that's on everybody's 80s playlist. Together, In Excess has sold over 75 million records. Originally of English and Irish descent, Michael grew up in Australia, then Hong Kong, and then moved back to Australia again in the 70s, where he later met Andrew Ferris and the rest of what would become his fellow In Excess bandmates in high school. In Excess actually began in 1977 with Andrew and Michael co-writing most of the songs. It was a strong writing partnership that would last until their final album together in 1997, which was elegantly wasted. They released their self-titled debut album in 1980 and a follow-up in 1981, but it was 1982's Shabu Shuba that really kicked things off in the band. It was the first album by the group to be released worldwide and appeared on the U.S.'s Billboard 200 and Hot Pop Albums charts. And it brought two of the best in excess singles. The One Thing, which has one of the greatest energies of any song in my list, and Don't Change. Shibu Shaba was one of the coolest album names of all time and is an <laughs> onomatopoeia of a rhythm that can be found in the song Spy Love, which is also off that album. 
I mean, what can I say? Michael Hutchins was sort of the quintessential 80s rock star. He channeled that Jagger, Jim Morrison vibe. He had that darkly poetic thing going with the long, curly hair, model girlfriends and Helena Christensen and, and Paula Yates, unfortunately taken from us again too soon in 1997 by suicide. You know, Steve, but as much as sort of people fawn over Kick, their 1987 uh, massive breakthrough record with, with Need You Tonight on it and New Sensation and X that had Suicide Blonde on it, for yeah. me, you know, their finest moments on vinyl, and you said this a moment ago, were The Swing in 1984, um, Original Sin, um, a song about interracial love, uh, the, just fantastic funk from that band. And in Listen Like Thieves, I think perhaps one of the most underrated rock records of the middle part of the decade. There is not an inch of fat anywhere on that record from what you need to falling down the mountain yep. um, to shine like it does you know, a really great pop song writing craftsmanship incredibly tight playing honed by so many years of playing the australian pub circuit which as i understand can be incredibly unforgiving australian audiences are tremendously demanding and this was a band that you know really put in the mileage as as big as they were on video and as famous as they were on mtv this was still a band that got up and went to work every single day and played gigs and you know put in the mileage it takes to be a really good really tight rock band and when you listen to listen like thieves that's what it sounds like to me yeah. that, that that's a live band that's firing on all cylinders so uh steve i'm gonna go out uh with my sixth and last pick we've been dancing around this uh for you know for the entire show it's a sunday it is only appropriate that i bring in paul <laughs> david houston the lead singer of u2 as my number six pick to fill out the pod steve i would not be playing rock and roll were it not for you two. I mean, I think I've told you this story once or twice. I remember being a little, being 14 years old, my little town in northwestern Connecticut. This video comes on. It's four guys. They're in this like red sandstone amphitheater. There's flags and there's rain and there's torches and there's this martial drum beat and this ringing guitar riff. It's the opening notes of Sunday Bloody Sunday. It's U2 at the Red Rocks Amphitheater in Denver, Colorado. One of the great indelible moments of the 1980s. Bono comes out marching with that white flag. I was lost. That, I was done. Ass over tea kettle for this band. 40 years later, still a transformative figure in rock and roll. I know there, there are a lot of people out there. He just drives them crazy with his political activism and, and his kind of larger than life rock star persona, but a hugely talented vocalist and quite clear from his charitable work, a, a wonderfully kind man as well. This is a band that's been through so many permutations who reinvented themselves with Octung Baby, perhaps one of the greatest rock records of the 1990s, uh, following it up with Zeropa in 1993, which even built on the accomplishments of that. Coming back in 2000 with All That You Can't Leave Behind, Walk On, released in 2001, kind of becoming one of those songs that saw us through those dark days in the wake of 9-11. Um, they just put out songs of surrender, 40 re-recorded versions of, uh, of, of songs from across their catalog. You know, what do you say about Bono? Just one of the great rock vocalists uh, of our time, right up there with, with anybody else. 
All right, that's all the time we have for this week. I'm John. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, like, share, subscribe, leave your thoughts in the comments. And this is Steve saying, until next time, keep it cool, keep it awesome, and keep it totally rad.